Capital Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You just see what we've had in September as a rough patch, not something more permanent and more troubling? Absolutely. I am optimistic that by the end of this year, we'll look back at what happened in October and November and say it set the stage for a very positive 2022 ahead. There you go. That's uh, Senator Chris Coons saying Democrats are just going through a little rough patch here. And things, the president, whatnot, poll numbers, and everything will be fine. I think we'll look back and say it as a precursor of a time when everything was great. What? What? Why? How? What are you talking about? So a lot of good stuff this hour. I hope you can stay tuned. Um, you know, I, I'm tempted to play the uh, tape we have of Fareed Zakaria on uh, why Indians do so well, uh, Indian Americans, um, outside of India. Um, maybe a little bit later, but the point he makes is because there is a system here that enables the hardworking and the excellent to uh, to excel, to do well, to have great lives. There's a framework for success in the United States. And there are some of us who believe that Joe Biden and AOC and company right now are trying to dismantle that framework and and turn it into France. I thought the framework was be born a white male. Ah, Not really. Not so much. You know what? Go ahead. Clip number 60. This is CNN journalist Fareed Zakaria. Having grown up in India and come here, I would hear this often. People would say, why are you leaving India? You know, your country needs you. But here's the truth. I actually do think talent is sprinkled throughout. There are millions and millions of talented Indians. I'm not that special. What's special is the environment that this country has created where smart and talented people can flourish. There's another way of putting this. There was a member of parliament, an opposition member of parliament, who stood up one day at the Indian parliament and asked the then prime minister, Indira Gandhi. He said, Madam uh, Prime Minister, can you explain to me one question? I notice when I look around the world, Indians seem to do really well everywhere except in India. <laughs> what does that tell you about how you run this country? Right. Oh, right. yeah, there's no answer. There's no good it's answer. All, it, it's right. all about creating an ecosystem yeah. where talent can flourish. It's the problem in India or China or Africa is not that there aren't talented people. It's you haven't created the ecosystem that lets them flourish. Go back. That's really interesting. And only immigrants have that point of view. The people that were born in the United States are a lot of people, not me. Uh, are convinced that, no, the the system is stacked against you. You can't get ahead. You have to be a white male or from a privileged family or whatever. It's your only chance to do well. And uh, people like Fareed Zagaria and other people who come here from other countries know that that's not the case. We're certainly much better opportunity here than has existed in the history of the planet other places. Well, and there was an interesting moment there. He was actually on uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's one of the more annoying people on the planet, his uh, his show. <laughs> Um, and and uh, and uh, Zakaria, you know, uh, relates that question posed to Indira Gandhi, and uh, Decra- uh, Tyson pipes in. <laughs> There's no good answer to that question, and and Zakaria supplies the perfectly good, great answer to that question. There is an ecosystem here in the United States where people can flourish, and I would prefer that not change fundamentally. Which leads us to uh, the following discussion. Andrew Yang announced uh, last week that he's left the Democratic Party. Yang Yang! He's now officially an independent. He said it was a strangely emotional experience. Been a lifetime Democrat, but I'm no longer uh, confident that being a Democrat is the right thing. Uh, He cited the country's increasing polarization, and he's more comfortable trying to fix the system than being a part of it. Um, and, and, And... 
he just thinks he's better off not being part of a, a party. But the part that he, the thing that he said that I thought was pretty powerful is that he said, on a personal level, he feels he and the Democratic Party have always been something of an odd fit, describing himself as more practical than ideological, making partisan arguments, particularly expressing what I often see as performative sentiment. It's sometimes uncomfortable for me. I often think, okay, what can we actually do to solve the problem? I'm pretty sure there are others who feel the same way I do. I've seen politicians publicly eviscerate each other, then act collegial or friendly backstage a few minutes later. A lot of it is theater. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Which brings us to, and we break, we mentioned this briefly, uh, Chuck Schumer's bizarre speech Thursday night after the Republicans said, essentially, all right, go ahead and vote to extend the dead limit. We're not going to stand in your way. It's fine. McConnell and he and then Schumer cut some sort of a deal. Some Republicans hated or, or, or pretended to hate it. And Schumer comes out with this speech just Blasting Republicans, the very Republicans with whom he just made a deal, just ripping them. But it was it was entirely a performance. He said, among other things, Republicans played a dangerous and risky partisan game. And I'm glad that the brinksmanship did not work. And he mentioned that uh, they forced the Democrats to raise the debt ceiling by going it alone through a drawn out, convoluted, convoluted and risky reconciliation process, which is the same process they've used over and over again. And did you see uh, Senator Manchin behind Schumer? Have you seen that video, everybody? Uh, it's something Manchin puts his head in his hands and then gets up and leaves, and then afterwards says, what are we doing that for? Yeah, he said, I don't think that was the appropriate speech at this time. We have to de-weaponize politics. You can't be playing politics. None of us can on both sides. Civility is gone. And he didn't really drill down on it, but what he was saying was, that was just a performance all that that was the opposite of what just happened in reality and it was just performative it's not trying to solve the problem one more piece of evidence and then i'm going to get to the main point i happen to see the headline maureen dowd one of the leading opinion columnists in the new york times the supreme court versus reality she's talking about how the supreme court already is politicized and evil and mean many of us thought that for a long time uh blah 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 uh, the once august court's approval ratings on fairness were already falling two decades ago. Here's the part I love. The bloom came off the robe in 2000 when the court threw the game on Bush v. Gore, voting 5-4 to four to stop the Florida recount and anoint a Republican president. Wow. If we conjure an alternate history look at America, consider all the things the Supreme Court brought down on our heads by preemptively purloining that victory for George W. Bush. That means stealing it. And then they go into, you know, uh, Bush Cheney. Uh, your own paper, dear, did an independent recount and said Bush won Florida by more than they thought he won originally. And all the Supreme Court law did was say, no, Florida has to stick with their election law. They can't change their law because they see a, a need now. You've got to stick with Florida's election law. The narrative that the Supreme Court stole the election is utterly false, according to the New York Times itself. But so you have that performative editorial by Maureen mm-hmm. Dowd, who, who probably doesn't mean that anyway. But that's a, that's a long lead-up to a piece uh, by Ezra Klein, who I find obnoxious. He's the... Uh, far lefty guy who started Vox.com, among other things, uh, but he occasionally drops uh, columns for other folks, including the New York Times. And he's talking about this guy who I really was not um, that familiar with. His name is David Shore. He is this whiz kid math guy 
who's been modeling elections. He started modeling elections in 2008 when he was a 16-year-old blogger, and he proved really good at it. By 2012, he was deep inside President Barack Obama's re-election campaign, putting together the fabled Golden Report, which modeled the election daily. It proved spookily accurate, predicted every swing state but Ohio within one percentage point, called the national popular vote within a tenth of a percentage point, uh, and et cetera. So he shot to the, the top ranks. Interesting. The Democratic Party. But then a tweet changed his career. Oh, boy. During the protests after the killing of old George Floyd, Shore tweeted, and he didn't have many followers, really. He was still kind of a behind-the-scenes guy. He tweeted, post-MLK assassination riots reduced Democratic vote share in surrounding counties by 2%, which was enough to tip the 1968 election to Nixon. Nonviolent protests, he noted, tended to help Democrats electorally. I remember that. Yeah. So he said, look, riots will hurt the Democratic Party, especially in surrounding counties. Peaceful demonstrations will help it. Hinting, he didn't state it, he just was hinting, violent, fiery riots are a bad strategy. Well, online activists responded with fury, of course, to him pointing that out. And he was summarily fired by his employer, Civis Analytics, wow. a progressive data science firm. Canceled! Wow. Wow. Um, I, all I did was point out what is factually true. The right. fact that you don't like that that's true doesn't mean I should get fired. Right. Well, uh, what's the old saying by Orwell or whoever it was that, you know, when lies become the, the official doctrine, that uh, telling you the truth becomes a revolutionary act. But so this guy, uh, he gets uh, fired... And and he was able to speak a little more freely. Um, his personal story became proof as, of his political theory. The Democratic Party was trapped in an echo chamber of Twitter activists and woke staff members. It had lost touch with the working class voters of all races that it needs to win elections. And even progressive institutions dedicated to data analysis were refusing to face the hard facts of public opinion and electoral geography. Okay, I think we can all agree that that stuff is, is self-evident. Um, and then, you know, then, uh, you know, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but he refused to soften his analysis that the left didn't want to hear. He became ubiquitous on podcasts and Twitter. Obama retweets him. Uh, Politico reported Shore has an audience in the White House, one of the most in-demand data analysts in the country. People talked about the cult of Shore. He's got his own company now that's doing great, but. This is the ultimate point. At the heart of Shore's frenzied work is the fear that Democrats are sleepwalking into catastrophe. Since 2019, he's been building something he calls the Power Simulator. It's a model that predicts every House and Senate and presidential race between now and 2032 to try to map out the likely future. He's been obsessively running and refining these simulations over the past two years, and they keep telling him the same thing. Keeping in mind, this guy is a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat. He says, we're screwed in the Senate, although he didn't use screwed, he used the F word. In 2022, if Senate Democrats buck history and beat Republicans by four percentage points in the midterms, which would be a startling performance, they have about a 50% chance of holding the majority. So if they do world record great, 50-50 chance of holding the minority. If they win only 51% of the vote, they'll likely lose a seat and the Senate. And then the House is even worse. There, he predicts them to lose tremendous number of seats. And long story slightly shorter, he thinks 
The Democratic Party has become the party of the elites and Twitter and has no idea what working America thinks. Thanks, Twitter! Including, uh, Jack, you've talked about this a lot, Hispanic America. Mm. What does Hispanic America have to do with Twitter? Yeah. No, I think he's absolutely right. Um, it'll be good for the country if uh, if uh, everybody comes to believe that Twitter is not the real world. That'd be good for everyone. Yeah. But you look at the immigration issue, for instance. Um the progressive types think Biden is too hard on immigrants and on immigration. They think he's too strict. I saw an editorial the other day that he's become the deporter in chief and he's evil. How out of touch is that with Americans, including Hispanic Americans? So it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun watch to see whether the Democrats figure this out or they will sleepwalk, as he says, into disaster. Is Brian Landry hiding under his father's home, his father's home in the flower bed? No, but internet sleuths think that is the case. If you're um, having trouble finding mental health care for you or a family member, I've been going through this in the last week or so. There's a reason. It is a problem nationwide, and it ain't going to get fixed soon. It's uh, it's actually depressing if you pardon the expression. Um, all that stuff on the way. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Facebook's also denying a report that says using Instagram can cause users to develop a negative body image, which explains their rival's new slogan, TikTok. Bring your fat ass over here. Uh, Today is National Coming Out Day, in addition to being Columbus Day. If Columbus came out as gay, it would be just a huge... Everybody working together, fantastic sort of thing. Well, it's National Indigenous Peoples Day, too, according to the president. All right. Uh, Superman's son, Jonathan Kent, is coming out as gay, according to DC Comics. So that was announced on National Coming Out Day. So Superman's son is gay. What a great step forward for something. But is he super gay? (laughs) I don't know. Is his son super at all? Or is it like uh, is he like a muggle, like in Harry Potter? Because Superman got together with uh, what's her name, the uh, the nice reporter lady, Lois Lane. He does. I think so. Don't they end up married or something? I don't know. I'm a grown up. I don't know these things. Fair enough. Um, what flavor do we want? I don't want anger. I don't want outrage. I don't want. You know- This isn't anger or outrage. This is just interesting, and it's a final note on that stuff I was talking about last segment. Um, It's all about the Senate. As recently as 2008, the correlation between how a state voted for president and how it voted in Senate elections was 71%. 71% of the time, they voted the same party for president and, and Senate. But only 71%. Actually, earlier than that, like from the 1960 to 1990, it was 50%. It was a coin flip. Yeah, we, we, we talked about this a while back. There's a name for that. I don't remember what the technical name is. But but now, in 2020, remember it was 50%, then it was about 70%. 
Last election cycle, 96%. Yeah. As we and, get, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. As, as we get more tribal, as more I'm right. this side or the other side, and there's no possible way I could ever be part of the other side. And the problem for the, the left is that uh, the Senate, two per state, no matter how big or small, there are a hell of a lot of states that are red. They don't have huge populations, but they're getting further and further from the Democratic Party. So the trend among the bulk of states looks to be red. So this isn't suspicious at all. China has denied the WHO access to bat caves in search for COVID origins. So China has denied the World Health Organization the chance to investigate further the bat caves in the wildlife farming areas in the region around Wuhan. Now, this is yet another comic book reference, is it, you child? Bat caves. What now? (laughs) Of course, you don't have access to the bat cave. They got that uh, wooden roadblock in front of it. So while China wants to claim that it either came out of the wet market, which kind of came from one of those local caves and not out of their lab, they're not going to let the WHO look at any of these bat caves to try to figure out if that's a possibility. Uh, I think we all know why that is. Nobody in the history of humanity has ever covered up a crime they didn't commit. Right. Um, maybe we'll talk later about this. The long article somewhere, Wall Street Journal, I'll figure it out before I get to it. About how uh, we might be, we might need to have a discussion about how we're going to bail out a failing China rather than they're going to take over the world from some smart thinkers as they've got uh, some some cracks showing. But maybe exactly, more that I've been beating that drum, man. All you, about the demographics. You have been saying that for a long time. Um, finding mental health care is becoming practically impossible and very very expensive. We'll get to that next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Young Luis Patino delivers, and there's a drive left field, high and deep, back by the wall. Gone! Red Sox win it! Christian Vasquez! A two-run homer, can you believe it? 6-4 Boston in 13 innings. And Vasquez getting mobbed, fires his helmet in the air as he approaches home plate and is being mobbed. A 13-inning game, obviously excited, but of course the East Coast only knows even Boston and uh, Boston Red Sox games even exist. Missing Dodgers-Giants, which is the most exciting thing for the other half of the country. I was at game two, and it's split 1-1 now. Pretty awesome. Oh, it's a war. By the way, 13-inning games, very exciting. If you tune in in the 11th. Yeah. Otherwise, exhausting for the fans, for the players, the umps. <laughs> I, I love playoff baseball, and I love that it's sudden death madness. You yeah. Know? Um, but, oof, 13 innings. It was fun to be there. My son really enjoyed it, and he's not really that into baseball. But there was enough going on, and just there was just so much excitement in the building that it was you know, enough to keep him on the edge of his seat. Oh, that's great. Um. I didn't do this story last week. I meant to get around to it. Have you heard about this college music professor that has stepped down? That means he was forced to quit. He is a uh, professor of music at the University of Michigan. He grew up under the Cultural Revolution in China. He's of Chinese descent. He had his piano taken away and smashed by the Red Guard during the Cultural Revolution. Wow. When they were doing things similar to what we're doing now in America. But in a class that he teaches, he showed... A version of the Shakespeare play Othello 
in movie form with Lawrence Olivier playing the lead role. Uh, in, if you don't know Othello, it's a uh, Shakespeare play in which they regularly re- refer to Othello, the lead character, as a Moor. So it's traditionally been believed that the lead character is black. So Lawrence Olivier, in 1965 in this movie, had black paint on his face. Well, if you show a white guy with black paint on his face, even if it's Lawrence Olivier with the most famous version of Othello, you have college students at the University of Michigan saying, he showed blackface with no trigger warning whatsoever. I thought this was a safe space. And then he apologized, which turned out to be a mistake because it's certain of admission of wrongdoing, and he has since had to quit. A guy who grew up under the Cultural Revolution of China, highly regarded worldwide teacher of composition who has had to quit at the University of Michigan. Canceled! Pursuing one of the great works of art in world history. With Lawrence Olivier of the Royal Shakespeare Company. What do you do with that information? I don't know. Well, the fact that he was forced to his knees, made to apologize, then then forced out of his profession in the United States, having survived Maoist China, it's it's heartbreaking. It's disgusting. Wow. The university said Professor Sheng's actions do not align with our school's commitment to anti-racist action, diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of those things are the opposite of what they claim to be. They're racism, pure and simple. He did not understand how racist his students are. He's got to be thinking, holy cow, it's happening again. First in China when I was young, now in the United States. But anyway. Hey, I hope the Asian groups are are out there batting for this guy. Come on, y'all have clout. Intersectionality is a is a complicated thing. Got to stand up for that, man. So, a uh, Wall Street Journal with a piece that struck me over the weekend. Why is it so hard right now to find a therapist who takes insurance? Dealing with this very thing with a family member, and I wasn't even like leaning hard on uh, trying to find one that. Takes insurance, I was willing to pay out of pocket, though it's very expensive, but you can't find anybody. I'll read a little from the Wall Street Journal and then fill in the holes. Finding a therapist who takes insurance was tough before the pandemic. Now, therapists and patients say an increase in the need for mental health care is making the surge even harder. I would say damn near impossible. Especially in big cities like L.A., New York, Washington, D.C., wherever, demand for mental health care is so strong that a whole bunch of experienced therapists don't accept any insurance plans at all, they say. They can easily fill the practices with patients who would pay out of pocket, so why take insurance? Therapists who do take insurance are booked up. I can guarantee you that's true, at least within 60 miles of where I live. And in many smaller towns and rural areas where they've got fewer mental health professionals, you're just out of luck. Uh, quoting one therapist, a clinical uh, social worker in L.A., and that's a licensed clinical social worker, which is a long way down from a psychologist with a Ph.D. I mean, you're talking a couple of years education beyond regular college, and this person is able to charge whatever. If you're good enough and have a good enough marketing, <laughs> marketing, how much should that play a role? And in demand, then it's just a financial decision. I can make twice as much if I accept cash as if I take insurance. Wow. Well, if you can fill your practice and make double the money, I'd do the same thing. Um, so I've been, uh, like I said, i got a family member. I'm trying to get into a, a higher level of therapy at the recommendation of uh, one doctor, and it's just impossible. It can't be done. So you think, okay, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the doctor's orders on what we should, should do. Here's the medicine that I need, and you just can't do it. 
I've probably called 80 places. Most Ugh. places don't call back at all. The ones that do call back, call back to say they're full, give you a couple of numbers to try. You call them, and they're full, too. You can't do it. So I would. Su- I suppose supply and demand will take care of this over time. It's not going to help you right now, but I would well, assume over time it will. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm also assuming that the, you know, the... The quickness of the the backlash, if you will, when when the the supply catches up to demand, will be very very slow. I mean, it's, it's years in the making. Boy, this is true of a lot of medical specialties right now as well. We've got a, a real crisis of, in, including family care, just general practitioners. It's a terrible shortage of them. Yeah. How, how is this? How is this happening? I actually know part of the reason, but I don't want to go off on a tangent. Yeah, and I um. So I'm uh, in the parking lot yesterday, and there's a crazy person that hangs around this particular grocery store. Crazy or ruined his mind with drugs or whatever. I don't know what he is, but his mind don't work right. And he's always hanging around this grocery store, and he just wanders around on the sidewalk, yelling at bushes and waving his arms around. And he's always there. I've probably seen him ten times in the last two weeks. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, And I said to my son, it's just amazing that that guy who clearly is not capable of taking care of himself. He's filthy. He's practically wearing rags. Um, he's not capable of taking care of himself. It's amazing that in a upscale town like I live, that that person just exists, just hanging out in the world. What is the expectation of what's going to happen to that person? He's going to have a tragic death of some yeah. sort. Yeah, it's inevitable. He'll either get hit by a car or OD or Somebody will kill him or something, but it's not going to be a good outcome. And so the cry from, well, left and right, but certainly from the left is always, we need to get, we need mental health for these people. How are you going to do that when, like I just said, people are willing to pay? Oh, and they got into the prices on this. People are charging $500 an hour. Oh, oh my gosh. Now, I've never paid that high, but certainly two, $300 an hour is common. If there are people willing to pay two, three hundred dollars an hour who can't, after calling every number that they can come across, can't find a single person, how are you going to get that guy help? What's your plan for that? Right, and and a guy like that needs comprehensive oh, help. Uh, yeah, yeah, he needs to be he needs to be institutionalized. But oh yeah, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what the answer is for all this, but uh, I, I don't know easy either. Rather, but uh, clearly. The truth is we need to we need to discuss this with the facts in front of us. We need to discuss it realistically, not just throw sentiments back and forth. You know, we need better health care. Yeah, we do, but uh, mental health care. Um, but do you understand where we are? I don't think a lot of people do. And plus, I think a lot of people have wildly unrealistic views of how successful oh, mental yeah. health care can be and, dr- and drug rehab can I, be. I didn't get into that. A lot of therapy either doesn't work. Or it's crap. I don't know which. <laughs> but a lot of it doesn't work. For whatever reason. I mean, it's so it's it, it's too bad. If you've never been down this road and you're lucky if you haven't, if you've never had to go down this road, in, in your mind you might think, okay, well, if I ever was presented with this issue for myself or a loved one, I would just, uh, you know, doctor tell me what to do. I'd make an appointment. We'd go and get fixed. That is not even within a thousand miles of the way it works. Right. It's not even close to the way it works. Try to get help. You can't find anybody, and even if you do any, find anybody, the chance that it's going to do any good soon is very, very low. 
Well, and in my experience, having dealt with this with a family member, uh, when you do get in, they tell you which pills to take, and that probably that is pretty much the extent of the the quote unquote mental health care. Yeah, it's it's tough though. So any anyway, I brought you this story. If you're struggling, that's why you're struggling. It's this way all over the country, and people are only taking cash, and uh, it's expensive. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get a better attitude. Turn that frown upside down. You're depressed? Cheer up. Cheer up. Smile. That's what I say. You got anxiety? Relax. (laughs) That's what I say to people with anxiety problems. Relax. Right. If people are depressed, hey, cheer up. (laughs) Well, it's going to do you as much good as waiting around and not doing anything, I suppose. Well, it's less exhausting and and angering than making 80 phone calls. Yeah. Holy cow. Good luck with that. Uh... Uh, those of you uh, might be depressed who are stuck in airports or driving from your destination like Austin, Texas, to the West Coast because your Southwest flight got canceled for, for, with no explanation yesterday. We've gotten lots of texts from people like that. It's still a mess. Uh, if you ever want to comment on anything, one oh no, what's our text line? 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Internal documents show that Facebook knew its platform was used to spread hate and misinformation, but they hid the evidence. Now, the weird thing is, I went to school with Mark Zuckerberg, and I was there when he created Facebook. And I feel terrible. I mean, sometimes I wish I had a time machine so I could go back to college and find Mark and say, Hey, man, can I be part of your company? Was there, uh, when I heard that Saturday night, is there really much more to that joke than I went to Harvard? I think that's what the, the statement is there, isn't it? From Colin Jost on Saturday Night Live. He was pretending to be concerned, but then went for the just, money. It's a little close to just, I went to Harvard, too. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. How can you tell if somebody uh, went to Harvard? They'll tell you. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a couple of things I wanted to get to, but a, a quick change of plans, just because... It, Two things. Number one, we were talking about how incredibly hard it is to get mental health care, uh, particularly if you're going through insurance right now. It's practically impossible. And part of the reason for that, it's the tangent I chose not to explore, is uh, it's central planning. A lot of the uh, physicians associations and the AMA, mm, they right. say how many specialists can be allowed to graduate. That's right. I forget, I forget that, which is ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. So, and, and central planners are always way, way behind demand. It's just the nature of central planning. It's terrible. Um, anyway, one other thing, and this is, this is less politics, uh, like partisan politics and more the way politics works, but, uh, the federalists. So uh, just to back up on that. So they, so they limit how many people can graduate with that degree to try to keep salaries up. Is that the point? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You know, they would tell you, well, we got to make sure that the, you graduate uh, as a urologist. We, you got to have enough business to pay back all these exorbitant uh, loans, for instance. And so they limit, they artificially limit the number of uh, specialists who uh, emerge from medical schools. Which sounds like a good idea, but it's clearly not, in that they're not as good as figuring out as regular people would be of figuring out, you know, what's the marketplace for this degree. 
Right, right. Oh, we've got to get to the hot new accessory for your kids going back to school. I know they're back in school. I can read a calendar. But anyway, the hot new accessory. But first, I found this so interesting. Uh, Joy Pullman writing in The Federalist. Yeah, we've all heard about Joe Biden's alleged vaccine mandate for private companies employing 100 or more people. It was all over the news even before he announced it on September 9th. His announcement has jeopardized the employment of millions of Americans and increased worker shortages in critical domains such as health care. There's only one problem. It's all a mirage. Right. Biden's so-called vaccine mandate doesn't exist, which at least makes not it, yet. Which makes it 1,000% likely that it was just something to get us to talk about uh, a topic other than Afghanistan. Because they never they haven't taken any of the steps to implement the damn thing. Exactly. And, and it's also what we've been talking about, performative politics. There's no realistic view that this is going to happen or no desire to make it happen. It's just a performance. But so far, all we have is press conference and other such made for media huff puffing. No such rule even claiming to be legally binding has been issued yet. That's why nearly two dozen Republican attorneys general who publicly voiced their opposition, opposition rather to the clearly unconstitutional illegal mandate haven't yet filed suit. There is no mandate to haul into court, and that may be part of the plan. According to several sources, so far it appears no such mandate has been sent to the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs yet for approval. The White House and OSHA and the Department of Labor haven't released any official guidance for the alleged mandate. There is no executive order. There's nothing but press statements. Despite what you may have been falsely led to believe by the media fantasy projection machine, press statements have exactly zero legal authority. I know it's it's really quite hilarious. Um, I think that's where we live now. A president can come out and and uh, make an announcement of something very strong, and everybody talks about it for a while. Nobody pays attention to the fact that when he's done talking about it, he walks back to his office, and nobody may even lift, lifts a finger to actually implement it. Right. Right. Now, it gets even more interesting. According to OSHA, an uh, uh, emergency temporary standard, an ETS, which is what we're talking about here, takes up to six months to go into effect after the initial mandate is issued in the Federal Register, which, again, hasn't happened yet and doesn't seem to be happening. But lawyers for big business were blunt about their love for this mandate mirage. Everybody loves this cover, said Minneapolis employment lawyer Kate Bischoff in Bloomberg Law. Many were already looking down the road at doing this, but the fact that they got to blame Biden is like manna from heaven. So it's covered for big uh, companies to make you get a mandate. Mm. Or, I'm sorry, make you get a vaccine. I'm trying to gotcha. read while I'm talking. And that worked, yeah. Yeah, at least uh, to some extent. May oh. not have with Southwest Airlines? Nobody's sure really why Southwest Airlines canceled thousands and thousands and thousands of flights over the weekend, stranding people all over the country. You couldn't get anybody on the phone or talk to anybody, so nobody's exactly sure what happened. They blamed weather, clearly a lie. I don't know. If you're stuck out there, hit us with the text. Um, We got this text. The Southwest Pilots Union is denying a strike because the union cannot organize or even acknowledge the sick out if they did, it would make it an illegal job action according to federal law. So there's a possibility that it is a ah blue s- flu sick out around the vaccine thing, but they can't in any way allow it to be an organized thing. Okay, so that's why the pilot union said our our members are not participating in any official nor unofficial protest action. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see. I, I have a feeling the truth will out. So here's the hot new back to school accessory. Uh, carbon monoxide monitors, sticking them in your kid's backpack. 
They're they're not terribly fancy gizmos. They're they they're like a couple of hundred bucks, I think. Is this a problem? You know, it's not. It's actually kind of interesting. It's a problem that schools aren't doing this themselves. We've talked about how this. How, uh, we've talked about this. How uh, ventilation is the next frontier in in uh, disease prevention. You know, a couple hundred years ago in London, they realized that having the sewage and the drinking water in the same pipes was probably a bad idea in terms of uh, <laughs> you know, sanitation. Uh, and I certainly agree with them. Um, but so <laughs> if schools were aggressively ventilated, there'd be no fear of covid for anyone. Oh, oh so is this is this monitoring how much carbon monoxide your kid's got cuz he's got his mask on all day? Carbon dioxide. Dioxide. No, they're just monitoring the the carbon dioxide levels in the classrooms and in the lunchrooms for instance because that is a super accurate measure of how well ventilated a space okay. is. I'm not worried about this. Or should I be worried? Should I buy one oh, for my kid? Absolutely should be worried. <laughs> Seems- be very worried. Seems a little over the top. No, actually, since the kids are at virtually no risk from COVID at all, this is bordering on paranoia. The only thing that's the only redeeming quality of this is that the schools are not at all monitoring how well their air is ventilated. But parents are saying, hey, my kid came home. Here are the readings throughout the day. It's way too many parts per million. Why aren't you guys be getting serious about um, ventilation? Why aren't you letting the kids eat lunch outside? That sort of thing. So the parents are monitoring what the schools should be to the extent that they need to, again, given the incredibly low risk to youngsters. Brian Laundrie is not hiding under the flower bed at his parents' home. That's an Internet rumor. Somebody claimed they saw a hand and printed a picture. (laughs) But it turns out he's not. All right. We're officially at the wake me if you find him level. (laughs) Exactly. If you miss an hour, go to armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.